Um, I, I believe there was a horse in the mounting yard uh, went up to a one-legged jo- jockey. I <laughs> <laughs> said, hey, how are you getting on? <laughs> I didn't even see that one coming. <laughs> everyone uh, welcome back I've managed to corner a Graham again this time you know I think pretty much every time we record I say it's ad lib but this one really is ad lib isn't it it certainly is <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we really haven't really re- um, prepared anything so I'm not sure how, how good no how no good no, 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 no no that's not true um, it's well, smelling a bit musty in the broom cupboard today yeah so anyway so this topic that we've uh, got today is was suggested by a um, uh, an anesthesia resident from um, Northern Health of Victoria, Mason Hable. Thanks, Mason, for your email. Sorry, it's been a little while till we got around to your suggestion. And he uh, he wrote in and said um, that he thought we should do a podcast on, um, this is his title, What I Wish I Knew About Spinals and Epidurals as an ONG Resident. So, that, so that's a bit of a disclaimer. If you know a lot, quite a lot about spinals and epidurals already, you're probably not going to find this that interesting. But um, we thought we'd give it a go. And um, before we get in, stuck in though, Graham, what's uh, what's happening in the world? The uh, news. It's been a bit of rain. There was a Melbourne Cup last week. Yeah, I didn't even watch that. Um, I, I believe there was a horse in the mounting yard. Uh, went up to a one-legged jo- jockey. <laughs> I said, "Hey, how are you getting on?" <laughs> I didn't even see that one coming. <laughs> there was a kidnapping at my um, kid's school yesterday. Truly. Yeah, it's okay though. He woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh. Um, so some real news. Anscare exams are uh, going to be held um, in the next few weeks, aren't they? And uh, I think some of the some of the exams, certainly for the WA candidates over here, are going to be done virtually, which is a new thing. Mm, it's played havoc on our after hours roster. Yeah, that's right. Everyone mm. is studying, and um, suddenly there seems to be lots of new vaccines for COVID around, and there's a bit of an outbreak in South Australia. So mm. Not so so anyone listening to this podcast three years from now will find that really interesting. Oh, yes, but it's, um, <laughs> it's still, uh, what would we say, um, in epidemic proportions throughout Europe and yeah, North right. America. Considering a quarter of a million people have died in America, mm. um, we're, uh, about 30 people with COVID in South Australia is like a blip. Mm. Yes. Right, so anyway, so... Um, You've prepared everything, and I'm basically oh, just along good. for the ride. Okay. <laughs> what, so, how are we going to tackle this topic? Uh, well, I think what I'll do <laughs> is try and make it simple. What I'll do is try and refer to the um, anatomical structures that are responsible for transmission of pain in labour. Yep. If I can describe, then then it probably leads into a discussion of epidural analgesia. Yep. And epidural anaesthesia and spinal yeah. anaesthesia. Yeah. And so um, the uh, innovation of the uterus that's relevant for uh, anaesthetists are a, a, a series of structures. Yep. And, and the women experiencing the pain. Well, most relevant to the women experiencing the pain and the midwives having to spend time in the room with them. Yeah, that's right. And their loved ones. So there's a, a series of autonomic nerves that uh, supply the uterus. What's an autonomic nerve? The cervix. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
It's hard it's to. It's a it, nerve. People can't see sighing over the internet. I know. Uh, on a well, podcast. Finger po- pointing. It's a, it's a <laughs> it's it's a nerve of the autonomic nervous system. Yep. Uh, you know what gets on my nerves? <laughs> Myelin. <laughs> okay, sorry. I feel like I'm really. Yeah. I'm just trying to make it like really. Um, I'm trying to remember what I knew and what I didn't. Exactly. Know. I no. think we are supposed to know the autonomic nervous system. We should system know this. Yes, when we, we should resident. know this. So yeah. the autonomic nervous system. I can't even say anything more about it. It's that part of the nervous system that's involuntary, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's very um, uh, early <coughs> on in our um, evolution. Yep. Uh, and it helps control visceral functions, of which uh, reproduction is one. Yep. Yep. And parturition is one. Anyway, the, the pain uh, nerves follow those uh, nervous fibres. So the sympathetic nerves that enter the uterus and the cervix from the level T1, sorry, T10, yep. T11, T12 and L1. Okay, so T10 means thoracic vertebrae number 10. That's correct. Well, T1's sort of close to the head and T10 is, is close to the tailbone. That, that, was a, uh, that was a word that shouldn't have come out. Yeah, that's right. I don't know where that came from. I think I was confused with L1. So... So the uh, pain fibres enter the central nervous system through those uh, nerves um, laterally off the uterus yep. uh, and refer pain to the structures of the skin that are innervated by the same um, segmental levels of the spinal cord. Yep. So this is relevant for where we put our needle in the back, isn't it? So exactly. It gives us an idea. Oh, so we know the painkillers go to the right nerves. Exactly. So women often experience labour pains in the skin of the lumbar spine. Yep. The uh, anterior abdomen from around the umbilicus <clears throat> down. Yep. And then uh, into the uh, lower abdomen and anterior thighs. Yep. There are also parasympathetic nerves which enter via the pudendal nerve. Okay. And the pudendal nerve arises at a much lower level, S2, S3, S4. Okay, so that's S standing for sacrum, so it's like down really low on the perineum. That is correct. Yep. And so pain's also experienced at that level. So that's why, just, just pausing for a minute, and I'm just trying to... So that's why when uh, women move from the first to the second stage of labour, suddenly the pain changes from where, where they're feeling it. Exactly. And sometimes the epidural pain relief that we're giving them might not be working as well. That's correct. Okay. Labour being the uh, process by which uh, the uterus contracts and the cervix dilates to enable delivery of the baby. Yep. Good. There are also some other little nerves that might be um, playing a role in the pain of labour. Yep. Some branches of the genitofemoral nerve which runs off the level of L1 and L2. Yep. And there's also what's called the perineal branch, Yep. a posterior branch of the femoral nerve, which runs off L1, L2 and L3. Okay. You'd have to send us uh, an email, Mason, let us know whether you wanted to know all that anatomy. Mm. It's quite relevant though, isn't it? It is relevant <coughs> because it's uh, it, it uh, defines where we need to apply our interventions. Yeah. So, so historically, there were other interventions which were sometimes used, yep. targeting either the um, sympathetic nerve supply by a paracervical block, 
Yep, so that's injecting local anaesthetic around the cervix. That's correct. And the other one was a pudendal nerve block. Yep. So the paracycle one is quite easy to stick your needle in the baby's head, isn't it? It is easy to stick your needle in the baby's head. there's only a few centimetres between the cervix and the baby's head. And there's also been reports of um, toxicity from local anaesthetics. Yeah, that's right, getting absorbed systemically into the the veins or vessels. And so it's been a... um, uh, probably a less effective and uh, less utilised method. Yeah, and where, uh, where do you do the pudendal nerve injections? That's uh, by the sacrospinous ligaments. Yep. yep. So it's usually done per vaginum towards the um, spine of the sacrum. Yep. Okay. Uh, what, do you, what are you going to talk about next? So we've sort of gone over the, the, re, the anatomy. So those are the nerves that we want to block or we, could, we want to get local anaesthetic nearby. Yeah, so we could go back and talk about uh, a brief history of epidural analgesia. Should we say what is an epidural? Like, let's, oh, what, the what epidural is an epidural and what is a spinal? Yeah, yeah. Because okay. I think that actually so, some people actually don't even know that. Um, mm. I, I think I probably didn't really fully appreciate what that was when I was, yeah. before I did anaesthesia. So the epidural space is a virtual space and it's uh, a space between the outside of the dura mater yep which are the membranes that contain the spinal nerves fluid and higher up the spinal cord yep and the vertebral canal yep and there's just this and that is defined depending upon uh, the level at which you make the slice but it could either be uh, intervertebral disc it could be uh, laminar, transverse processes, pedicles, spines mm. processes, ligamentum flavor. I like what you're doing with your hands. Mm. <laughs> it makes it so much easier to... <laughs> ligamentum flavor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll try and actually, maybe I'll try and put a um, diagram of, the, of that on the, uh, on the blog page that this podcast links to so you can stare at that while you're listening to the description. Mm. It is, that's a, anatomy is difficult to so, um, explain so carefully without if you, if you imagine it's a little bit like what we're trying to achieve is with an epidural is to administer drug into the epidural space so that it is able to anaesthetise nerves as they come off the spinal cord yep. and exit the, um, the meninges through the intervertebral foramen. Yes. Uh, and that is a little bit like a Christmas tree. It's Christmas coming up. A little bit like a fir tree, in as much as those nerves come off at a kind of a um, yeah a bit of an inferior angle. angle, and they're segmental either side, running up and down. Yeah, and then but uh, but but some of the drug also diffuses across the meninges, especially and has the centrally. the lipid soluble drugs like fentanyl. Mm. Yeah, they will get across into the CSF. Yes. A spinal is just making a hole through the dura mater into the CSF, isn't it? And injecting the drugs straight into the CSF. Yeah, and then um, that is a, like a column of fluid that communicates all the way up. That's correct. Including around the brain. That's correct. So if you get the dose wrong and inject too much, patients, it goes all the way up. Patients <laughs> people, doing, people stop talking. Patients stop moving <laughs> above the level of the block. Yeah, that's right. People stop talking and stop breathing and their pupils go dilated. But they may still be conscious. Yeah. So that's called a total spinal, mm. which is in where you, because uh, the dose of drug that you give in the epidural space is n- quite a, uh, a lot more than what you need to give in the intrathecal space. That's, so if you are accidentally inject the epidural dose into the intrathecal space, uh, then that's what can happen. Yep. Yep. In fact, <coughs> we use that principle 
for some of our test dosing. Yes, we try to be careful not to do that. That is one of the things we try and avoid. That's why we faff mm. around in theatre mm. um, a little bit, trying to test the epidural before we go f- full hog and, and put the big dose in. Yes. And or after we've just put the epidural in and labelled. Exactly. We, we, <clears throat> we're never 100% sure where, where that little plastic tube's wriggled. It's, um, it's a bit of a, like a dark art, if it was at Hogwarts School of Wizardry. Yes. <laughs> would it be in the potions? Who would teach it, Snape or uh, probably in the potions or the... Yeah. Who knows? Ministry of Magic. <laughs> I'm really, stretch- I don't I'm really know. scratching now. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if Mason's going to follow this. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm having trouble, Okay, mate. <laughs> so let's go back. All right. There's a little plastic catheter. Yeah. It, it allows drug to pass as a liquid into this space whereby it diffuses by capillary action yep. up and down a column and um, ha- has um, the ability to um, uh, come into co- close proximity with some nerves yeah. and exit at that level. Yeah, and, then, and even taking one step back again, so we can do um, all these drugs that we inject, they wear off, and uh, so we can, you know, when we do a spinal, we inject some drugs into the CSF, Usually most operations are over within two hours, so we don't need to leave any plastic tubes in. But people in labour, it goes for hours. And so, yeah, the reason we put a catheter in is because we need to keep giving drugs because as they wear off, we've got to put more down, don't we? That's correct. Yeah. So you could, yeah, I mean, you can actually find the epidural space and just do a one-off injection, but that would be gone in about one or two hours and then you're back where you started. Mm. Yeah, a lot more. Um, <clears throat> we could probably claim a bit more from Medicare if we were coming in each time to do <laughs> be a bit annoying wouldn't it the first <laughs> well, increase well, the risk of the woman too so that's why we put a little plastic tube and hook up to a machine with a button so in most hospitals yeah for non-australian listeners medicare is a, um, a universal <laughs> health insurance scheme yeah you get for, reimbursed, for most reimbursed australian for procedure. Uh, residents <laughs> okay mm. uh so where do we go to from here so yeah. uh, Previously, what dry, uh, yeah, a what number of epidurals we were administered by the caudal route. Yeah, so that's down near the bum, yeah, sacrum. near the sacral hiatus. Uh, however, there have been some people um, become uh, unwell, even die from that approach, whether it be from inadvertent really? dose of drugs, yes, yeah, okay. yeah, or whether it be from um, intravascular injection. It's still a caudal, sure. caudal blocks, uh, which are a type of epidural, are still yes. very commonly done in paediatrics. And a lot of pain medicine. And they're very safe, aren't they? And yep. pain medicine. Yeah, exactly. And they're very safe. Yeah. Yep. Um, the, the issue with the uh, level at which the block needs to get to, it needs to get to at least T10. Yeah. And that... Um, it's difficult from the caudal region. It's difficult from the caudal region because you need a large volume of drug. To get all the way up exactly. to T10, yeah. Yep. Not necessarily a large dose, but you need a large volume to get yeah. to T10. And the catheter's probably not placed in such a sterile site there, and the yep. risk of infection is higher. <clears throat> okay, that's good. Were, were you going to talk a little bit about the history? Of, uh, um, my, uh, my, my knowledge is very cursory. August Beer is the only story I know. Yeah. So he's a surgeon from Germany, and he experimented on his... Um, he and his, his uh, uh, laboratory assistant experimented on each other by injecting each other in the, with cocaine in their spines. And they proceeded to get drunk on brandy and then bash each other with hammers and pull each other's testicles and things like that. Put cigarettes out on each other. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and then they both had cracking um, postural puncture headaches for about eight days or something, I think. Yeah, confined I, them to bed. Yeah, Ian Maddox is going to write in and say, I got that wrong. It was ten days or seven days or something. 
Look, I don't know uh, too much about the history of epidurals, but I do understand in the 1920s there was a Spaniard who um, described the technique and used it in clinical practice, whose name was Dr. Pages. Yep. And that there was an Italian by the name of Dogliotti in the early 1930s who described the loss of resistance technique to inserting the epidural, but again at the caudal level. And then I understand that the lumbar approach to the um, to the epidural space was described about twenty years later yeah. by some French anesthesiologists. Anesthetist. Anesthetist. <laughs> Is that what they say in France or anesthesiologist? Anesthesie and reanimation. Oh, reanimation. <laughs> that's intense, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, so that's a bit of a forehand of the history. Mm. Obviously, it's been sort of like much more commonly practiced from the sort of 1960s, 70s, on, 80s onwards, and now it's a very commonplace around the world. Um, what else do you think an ONG resident needs to know? Most of them probably don't care about dogliotti and things like that. There's a few uh, myths about epidurals. Uh, what drugs do we use? Um, what things can go wrong? Yeah, so the drugs we usually use are um, you know, long-acting amide local anaesthetics so bupivacaine is the most common yep um, repivacaine is fairly common as well as well yeah and then we usually combine it with uh, fentanyl yep because yeah. it North improves North fentanyl or fentanyl yeah yep. because it improves the quality of the, the block I think by improving the um, we're trying to decrease the motor block aren't we so that exactly. the woman, the woman uh, in labour anyway can push and maybe move around in bed or, or even walk although mm. often they don't because there is a little bit of motor block they have to be a bit careful yeah uh, so um, obviously opioids can have some side effect profile. In yep. particular, they often interfere with the ability to sense the bladder filling. Yep. So women get a catheter yep. in this hospital and most hospitals after an epidural is placed in <coughs> labour and also they can make women itchy, for yep. example. Um, in, in terms of other things, the yep. local anaesthetics can have some side effects. Yep. Obviously they can cause a motor block. Yep. And there has to be great care with regards to a woman ambulating. Yep. Once no. the epidural is placed, I mean, you Can hear every it. so often the walking epidural. Yeah, that's and I don't know whether that's the placement of an epidural catheter. So I think the classic one that I'm understanding is like it was first described in North America where they did a CSE, which is where they do they find the epidural space and do an injection of fentanyl into the spinal fluid, the CSF, and then that's the only thing they start off with. Yes. So there's no local anaesthetics. There's no motor block. And they put an epidural catheter in, and then uh, the woman sort of walks around, and then she gets some pain relief from that. But then later on, once the labour sort of gets going, they start using the epidural catheter with local anaesthetic, and then mm. there's less walking around because your legs are not quite as strong as they were usually. Yes. Um, I was going to say something else. Yeah, so so as well as blocking the pain nerves, you block the sympathetic uh, control of the lower part of the body, and you can get a bit of vasodilation. And so occasionally you can get um, hypotension. And that can uh, be that can be, um, and that's but it's usually fairly well um, compensated for with epidural blocks. So it can happen, but it's not common. Mm. What about in theatre when we do like a big dose in the spinal? It's like a really heavy block with an spinal uh, injection. The, the, in terms of side effects, with a no, no, with the blood pressure and sympathetic nervous system. Oh, you can get hypotension. Yeah, so you can almost, get bradycardia. Yeah, for almost mm. everyone gets hypotension if we don't manage it somehow. That's why mm. in theatre we usually run a vasopressor, mm. which I think most parts of the world would be phenylephrine. Yeah, although we can use mineraminol or noradrenaline. Ephedrine. Yep. Yep. Um, 
you can also <coughs> get uh, what else do they need to know? So, so giving the pain relief can take away the um, catecholamine circulating in a woman. Yes, and that has been associated with fetal bradycardia. Yes, especially if they do a spinal a spinal for you know, rapid control of pain in labelled. Mm. So the CSE, yeah, and um, I've certainly seen that happen. It's usually, to be honest, my experience it's usually in a woman who's in labour and they've got their fetuses are maybe a little bit compromised already, like their labour is um, the, the baby, the baby's IGR, yes. or there's been a non-reassuring trace of some sort anyway, and then suddenly they get all these really strong contractions in the baby. Doesn't get uh, maybe the blood pressure, maternal blood pressure drops a little bit, although not often not. It's just these really strong contractions, mm. and then all of a sudden the fetal trace is terrible. Because catecholamines are thought to be um, tocolytic. tocolytic. Yeah, yeah, just like so, so tubutylene is yeah. the is the treatment for um, for uh, you know over stimulation of uterus. Yes. So so pain, which is you know noradrenaline from the sympathetic nervous system, is exactly the same thing. Mm. Well, it's not the same thing, but the same mechanism. Yeah. Um, if you, one is not careful, it's possible for the epidural catheter to go into a blood vessel. Yep. And an intravascular epidural can be associated with significant morbidity. Yeah, so there's lots of blood vessels in your epidural mm. space. Spine's quite a uh, vascular part of the body. Yep. So that's not infrequent. It's like somewhere between like 1% to 4 or 5% sometimes, isn't it? Yes. So if you inject... Um, those drugs, if they go intravenously, well, A, the epidural doesn't work, so they don't really get much pain relief. And then uh, B, if you give uh, intravenous ropivacaine or bupivacaine, it can cause problems. Yes. Usually in the labour order, the dose is, is pretty small, mm. so it's not going to cause like cardiac problems. But You can see some <coughs> problems, particularly if you try to top those epidurals up where the, yeah. the, it's not so if they come to recognised the theater, that well, the catheter is in the blood we, vessel. Yeah, we're mm. using really big doses of... Yep. Uh, here in uh, Western Australia, we use lignocaine two percent with adrenaline, mm-hmm. so they can get tachycardic from the adrenaline, and they can get like significant local anaesthetic symptoms. Yep, neurological toxicity, like seizure, or um, ringing in the ears. Yep, perioral. I've, I've seen that for sure. Paresthesia. Yeah. yeah, we've seen that topping recently. Up, topping up someone in, in the uh, anaesthetic room, and they go, "How come my face has gone numb?" Yes, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll just let that wear off. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, it what usually does problems? pass reasonably quickly, but yeah. um, it's something to be mindful of. Yes, if someone complains of um, weird neurological symptoms, um, or starts what else? to fit. God, we're covering a lot of ground here. We are. Yeah, we've even packed in three dad jokes already. Usually, we stack them. You know, we stack them near the end, don't we? Have you heard about <laughs> the new corduroy pillow slips? No. You see them in the catalogues. Apparently, they're making headlines. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got another one, but I'll save it for the end. I reckon... Uh, oh, one of oh, the other oh, things... Yeah, there is a myth. No, no, no. Yep. No, no, no. no there, it's not necessarily a myth, but uh, the, there is a perception that uh, epidurals contribute to an increased risk of instrumental or caesarean delivery. Yes. Instrumental assisted or caesarean delivery. So the evidence is that maybe it's true for instrumentals. Yes. But they have less pain. Uh, and the second stage might be... Uh, 10 minutes longer if you've got an ep- epidural on board and that could just be because everyone's decides to make it longer because uh, their patient's comfortable and they know that it's a bit safer if they take the time mm-hmm. uh, who knows uh, but there is no evidence for caesarean rates is it no so sometimes epidurals help people cope with um, you know oxytocin infusions and more pain and they end up having a vaginal delivery when they, maybe they might might not have in the past and sometimes epidurals do occasionally lead to Things like unexpected fetal bradycardia is where someone has a caesarean where they 
maybe wouldn't have. Mm. So I think it all balances out. I don't know. That's my. But the, but the large randomised studies, which had involved thousands of people, showed that the um, cesarean rate was the same. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, some of the um, information is also a little bit um, clouded by old practice. Yes. Where higher strength local anaesthetics were used. Yeah, so this we're talking about 20, 30 years ago, the strength of local anaesthetic was two or three times what it is now. Mm. So there was a lot more motor block. And, um, what other myths? Epidurals cause back pain. These, these are sort of more aimed at like, what women will complain of, but yeah, there's no evidence. That, so being pregnant causes back pain, and there's no evidence there that the incidence of back pain in pregnancy or postpartum period is any higher. It's pretty high in the and both groups of women who've had epidurals and women who haven't. And yes. that doesn't make any difference. Uh, so we're talking about sort of musculoskeletal things. <coughs> uh, nerve damage, that's pretty rare, isn't it? And yeah. most of it's due to obstetric palsy. We did a podcast on that. So Yeah, it is, un- it is uncommon. Yep. You know, I think the last paper I read said that temporary nerve damage, about one in a thousand, Permanent, maybe as much as one in thirteen thousand. Yeah. But problems like lower body paralysis, well, like one in two hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. But we, I see patients from time to time, uh, almost certainly what's called an obstetric palsy, where um, injury to a nerve around the pelvic brim, um, usually at that level or nerves, um, it takes a long time to recover. Yeah, and that is because of the baby passing through the pelvic brim and stretching the nerves and yes. cr- uh, so causing ischemia or pressure and things. Mm. Um, and the biggest, so the so the the biggest problem with epidural analgesia is basically accidental dural puncture causing bad headaches, isn't it? Yes. And uh, so I guess if you're an RNG resident, that's something to, that you should probably maybe a syndrome which is good to, to spot and uh, then refer them to us. Uh, so this is basically a postural headache so when the patient's up and around after a while they get a bad headache and then when they lie down it goes away and they have to have had a history of some needle in their back at some stage. I had a woman referred to me in the high risk clinic a few years ago who had a baby up in um, Broome I think it was because she'd had and she'd had this um, she had this dual puncture headache like it was classic um, story and uh, and uh, she had to have a blood patch by a radiologist in Melbourne because she'd gone to stay with her mum after her delivery and and he was saying to her, oh, yeah, the anaesthetist must have actually punctured your, your dura. And she goes, I didn't have an epidural and I didn't I had a normal delivery. Okay. So she just had a, sp- a spontaneous. Yeah. So I know there are p- people who have spontaneous leaks yeah. of she had a spontaneous C- leak yep. of CSF from the um, dura. Yeah, so probably just her pushing and valsalvering and yes. stuff. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so that, that is uh, something that we do. We cause accidentally cause a hole in the dura and then the CSF leaks out when they stand up and walk around. And uh, that, leaves, that means their brain sort of hangs, doesn't it? And, and also so there's a compensatory um, vasodilation, yeah. which is also thought to potentially be the cause of the headache symptoms. So the headaches are classically frontal or occipital, and they can be associated with things like um, uh, nuchal kind of dragging sensations. That's kind of the neck being a little bit um, tight. Yeah. Uh, photophobia, ringing in the ears. Yep. Um, just generally feeling unwell. Yeah, it is still uh, not as often. There are other causes of headaches, and uh, which uh, which you know, we won't go into. But like things like preeclampsia can cause headaches, and there are some rare complications which in pregnancy which can cause urus headaches. Exactly. Is there anything else that you reckon O and G residents need to know? Probably the stuff they want to know. We haven't even touched on. <laughs> 
Um, so in theatre, I mean, maybe usually, from a maybe in theatre we usually do spinals because they work. They're, they're much more reliable than an epidural for um, the quality of the blocks. So the, the, the pain relief and the and the the quality of the block during surgery. You know, so the patient has less less likely to feel pain, and it's, it's much more reliable. So that's why if we you know, we'd rather do a spinal in someone when they come up to theatre than an epidural. That's more rapid onset. Um, the but op- obviously they only last an hour or two, yeah. like a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I always say like four to six hours. Yeah. But you know, within a couple of hours. Well, for surgery, yeah. Yeah. Until they can get up and walk around for exactly. six hours. But so four to six hours for most surgery. Probably uh, be starting to get sore. Exactly. After not, not enjoying the surgeon still rummaging around at two hours. Exactly. Um, we do include opioids, including some long-acting opioids yeah. in the spinal blocks usually. Yep. And Especially morphine is the classic one. Exactly. Intrathecal morphine or epidural morphine sometimes. Mm. And that can cause some issues yeah. like itch, itching, nausea, nausea, and bladder retention, vomiting, urinary yeah. retention. Every so often, we blame the morphine for things like delayed respiratory depression yep i think women who have obstructive sleep apnea yep. who have symptomatic osa this is the emergency bell girl but like there's, there's um there's about 30 anesthetists here today yep oh, <laughs> we better go in a <laughs> second had, but yeah we had an emergency bell during a previous um podcast didn't we we did yeah i remember that one. uh we'll go in a second but um yeah so if they've got severe osa before they deliver i think i, I usually Try to be very careful with the opioids I administer. To yeah, that's right. Yeah. To, 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 to prevent to that making things worse. Yeah. So generally, pregnant women who are young have a higher respiratory drive because of the um, progesterone and things like that. Mm. So they're not as prone. Like I think most of the problems with uh, neuraxial morphine were with elderly patients having hip surgery and things like that. Yes. And interestingly, obstructive sleep apnea goes up in incidence in pregnancy. It's one of the few conditions. It does. Yeah, in young people that it mm. does, and that's I to do with. Combination of respiratory drive and edema in the airways. Yeah, yeah, edema, and you get be put on weight when you when you when you're pregnant. Mm. Oh, last night I had a dream that I was swimming in an ocean of orange bubbles, but when I woke up, I realised it was just a fantasy. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> Is is there anything else we should cover before we finish? We better go to this uh, code. <laughs> yeah, all right. Thanks again, Graham. Hopefully, right. hopefully we've answered some questions. Yeah. Thanks, Roger. See you, Mike. See you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandguinecritcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.